Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Ah, hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock, what a beautiful evening it is, the sun's shining out in the meadow, the rabbits are out there, it's absolutely gorgeous, just after 8 o'clock Wednesday night, a uh, massive, massive evening for my football club, who are playing down at the Emirates at the moment, 16 minutes and 5 seconds uh, have been played of that, uh, and if you're trying to stay away from it, I'm not going to tell you, but uh, that it is 16.12 now, just to let you know that we are really, really Live, uh, it is John Hindorf with Midweight Motorsports. Uh, Nick Damon is otherwise engaged tonight. It's Series 10, Episode 21, a significant number. But we do uh, still we, have Nick, don't we? We're we, uh, we going to try and get him. Oh, good. Um, I, I think without uh, without him, that could be difficult because we've got Formula One news to talk about and MotoGP news to talk about. Uh, um, I'll let him explain if we can get hold of him later what he's doing tonight but it's another significant number um, not 21 but 18 uh, work that one out yourself dear listener um, thank you for your uh, apologies for absence which have uh, that's a sort of a thing that we started a wee while ago that's taken on a life of its own now uh, and if you don't follow at Specutainment or at Radio Le Mans then you're missing out so do it uh, there's been some very good ones uh, this evening um, so we are yeah. uh, we are live. Sorry, I, I'm trying to do too many things at once Stop this evening. Honestly, oh, yes, sir. Um, right, okay. I'll try and do apologies for accidents. At 5 a.m. in Sydney, 19 days. Nothing like waking up to the dulcet tones. That's not an apology for actions. That's Sharon from uh, Australia. Stressed out at work, says Moni Elysium. Happy to hear. My computer's fixed just in time, says Jesse. Uh, despite slipping on an unflagged patch of oil, says Nick Parker, I will be in attendance. Very good. Definitely going to be busy. Uh, so no MWN tonight because the real Torah duty, says Adrian Michael Reese. Oh, yes, more on that later on. Apology for absence. Busy signing my new three-year deal with Roscoe, says Ryan De- West. Apologies. I'm trying to, to work out, says Mark Thorne, how many hours it will uh, take to... Earn £100 million for driving a Ford Focus. Um, and and more. Matthew Hindman. Uh, I've been taken to a JD Weatherspoon. That's not an excuse, Matthew. That's terrible. They have Wi-Fi in those pubs. You can listen. Yes, that's that's true. Fair enough. Um, Alexander Orkin is fiddling in front of an audience tonight. Presumably with some kind of musical instrument. Otherwise, we may be talking to him in one of Her Majesty's... Uh, prisons uh, as well uh, and uh, hello everybody else who is listening tonight i have a note from my mum says ruptured duck hello mark good to know that you are uh, in there and 
On a packed programme tonight, then, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have most of the usual features. Right. Um, I'm just going to turn myself up so I can barely hear myself, which means that probably no one else can hear me either. You were very quiet. I was very quiet. I'm less yep. quiet now. In fact, everything went quiet just a moment ago, says Eve. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, yes, we have uh, most of the usual features. We'll have, uh, hopefully, Nick Damon, because we have Formula One and uh, Moto GP to talk about with him. Uh, lots of sports cars to talk about, so we'll get Graham Goodwin on. Mm-hmm. Marshall uh, Pruitt is in Indianapolis. Yes, and obviously uh, lots has happened in Indianapolis since last week uh, when we uh, last mentioned that circuit. Yes, uh, we, we uh, Marshall has just dropped me a note and said he will be available at some time in the show. We might just have to go with him when he pops up, so just get ready for that. It might not be till the second second hour, uh, Tim. Okay, that's this is what happens on a live show. Things change quickly, well, particularly <laughs> at Indy, where lots of things are happening. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, at Spec Entertainment, at Radio Le Mans, uh, and on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective. And uh, where are we going to start tonight? Then, hang on a minute. Before, where were you at the weekend? Well, I was here at the weekend, but the question is, where was I on Monday night? Because it's ah. time for where's Tim. We haven't done this for quite a while. No. Uh, so I'm going to give you three clues during the course of the show. Right. Uh, and uh, listener needs to guess. And obviously, John, you don't know actually where I was. Yeah. You can guess along as well. Uh, where I was mm-hmm. uh, on Monday evening. Uh, so clue number one is mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to be doing this. Indeed, an hour beforehand, I wa- didn't know I was doing this. And then I got a text from Johnny Palmer. Oh, So right. Johnny Palmer was involved in this. Well, I happen to know that Johnny Palmer's clutch has gone on his, uh, on his Audi. Uh, so That's been fixed today. Uh, well, so is that what you were doing? Were you fixing, fixing his, his no? clutch? No, uh-huh. I wasn't fixing his clutch. Uh, at Speculatement or at Radio Le Mans if you want to add your guesses to that. Right, okay. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, firing that, uh, it is now eight minutes past uh, eight. Let's crack on. It was a busy weekend for the Radio Show Limited team. Spread, if not to the four winds. Did you not hear that jingle, John? Which one? The one that I just played. No. Oh. Sorry. I'll play it again, shall I? That means it's Dirty Sexy Mosley then before we do anything else. Okay. (laughs) Because I like to tie up loose ends, and this is a loose end that's been with us for a good five or six years. Right. Uh, Max Mosley has finally ended his legal dispute with Google. The case centred on the search engine's inclusion of images uh, of the ex-Formula 1 president participating in an S&M sex party in its search results. Uh, The two parties reached a settlement on Monday night, uh, just before uh, a court in Hamburg uh, was due to announce its decision on Google's appeal against uh, the original judgment yesterday. Ah. Um... So, basically, uh, on Monday, according to uh, Max Mosley's German lawyer, Tanya Irion, uh, the dispute has been resolved to the party's mutual satisfaction. 
The terms of the agreement are confidential. I'm satisfied and I don't want to jeopardise it. Uh, so this is a court case which has been through courts in France, Germany and uh, the UK. And Mosley sued Google because the company refused to filter out illegal images, he says, of a private S&M party uh, he held from its search results. Why were they illegal? Because they were done without the people's consent who were there? Well, some of the people consented. Right. So what was illegal about them? Well, that's for Max Mosley to suggest. What, sorry, what, I should, what was his argument then? His argument was that uh, they violated his privacy. So that they should have blurred him out, even if the other people had Consented, said it was OK. Yes. Mm. Uh, OK. The uh, pictures are stills taken from uh, the video uh, filmed by the News of the World uh, ah. in 2008, uh, which uh, also appeared in its print edition and on its website. Right. So it's finally come to an end after all this time. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, Courts in Paris and Hamburg had already ordered Google to take the images out of its search results, uh, but the uh, higher uh, regional court in Hamburg uh, was due to rule on the appeal yesterday. Obviously, that uh, decision is no longer important because uh, because they came to a settlement out of court. Mm. So that should be... The last we ever hear from Dirty Searching <laughs> Mosley. But I wouldn't be so sure. No, neither would I. It's just after 10 past 8. Hello there. Uh, if you're listening uh, for the first time, perhaps, I know that we uh, we get new listeners every week, uh, people who perhaps have dropped into one of our live broadcasts, and it was very kind of uh, Johnny and Bruce to mention the show at the end of the uh, Imola broadcast. We didn't get a chance to do post-race tech from the Nürburgring uh, earlier on. So we'll, we'll do sort of a bit of matters arising, if not necessarily post-race tech, in this show tonight, um, which I think is the perfect excuse for me to say good evening to Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, is it not, Tim? Hello to, hello to Graham. Hello, mate. Good evening, uh, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Joining us from the salubrious and uh, fantastically luxurious surroundings of Supreme Headquarters uh, Endurance Directive, uh, SHED, of course. And have have you recovered from the weekend yet? Just about. I was uh, actually having a conversation with your good lady wife earlier this evening just to say just how completely exhausted I think everybody came back after this one. I think it was the rather bizarre midweek timetable of a very, very late night followed by a very, very early morning. Yes, we need to have them do something about that late night in, late night finish into um, crack of dawn practice sessions. Um, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the brightest for anybody concerned. We call it What's race luck. I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so let's before we we heave into uh, anything else, uh, let's do a few matters arising then from the the Nurburgring uh, at the weekend. The the first thing that we've got to say is that everybody's concerns about the speed restrictions on three parts of the circuit two actually because uh, two of them were, were strung together. Um, and the Dottinger Hall was the third. Spoiling the race, it may have changed the race, may have changed the character of the race a tiny bit, but it didn't spoil the race, did it? No, it didn't. It most certainly didn't. I mean, so I think 
Um, the slightly smaller grid this year, if anything, actually helped. Uh, we had, what, 151 starters and, uh, what, something like 20 down on them we've, we've seen in most recent years. But I don't think that had an impact on it either. There was certainly strength in depth. Um, the, uh, the measures that have been put in place in response to the uh, fatal accidents in VLM1 were, I think, perfectly sensible. It gave us a race. It gave us a race that didn't lack for excitement. There were probably a few too many uh, car on car or car on barrier incidents for my liking, but um, such is the such are rather the perils of racing around the Nordschleifer. Um, you know, uh, the uh, I think the answer to the overriding question, though, John, is no. I don't think it actually took anything away from the race at all. Point of fact, actually, there was more car on barrier action, which, as we said at the time, was more like unforced error than uh, car on car. I think the only major incident where we had car on car was where we believe the car collection motorsport Mercedes-Benz and the Porsche, the Frickadelli Porsche, leading at the time uh, came together. Um, of course, there was a sort of car on car by proxy in that the four Phoenix Audi and the 007 Aston Martin, which was going exceptionally well at the time, Stefan Mucker at the wheel, went off in the dark on somebody's oil with no oil flags down and no no uh, criticism at all on the marshals. It's pitch black out at, um, at, the, at the top of the hill, close to Tal, and then through to Stahlstrecker. Um, but both of those cars ended up in the barriers. Ironically, barely any damage. Half an hour's worth of damage being fixed by the Aston Martin team, but 40 minutes plus to get that car out of the barrier and combined that time, taking it out of contention for the lead. Had it not lost that grim, it would have been there or thereabouts, certainly on the lead lap. It would have been Diedman on the lead lap. There were a couple of other ones as well. There was the uh, accident that, reasonably speaking, paid to the uh, chances of the 85 Bentley. That was car and car. And the other one, which we, we saw... Uh, sort of saw was a spin by the Lexus ISF that took out three other cars, one of which involved uh, an injury, uh, minor burns to uh, a driver in one of the cup class BMW. So there were other incidents, but you know, the, I think the reality is certainly nothing you, you could say um, was anything close to being as serious as, you know, accidents perhaps we've seen at the around the Nordschleife before. I thought it was a good race. I thought it was an engaging race. Mm. I thought some of the action perhaps this time wasn't absolutely at the sharp end of the field, but there were always places in the top ten uh, that were up for grabs, and it kept us kept us you know awake and engaged for the full twenty four. John, couple of uh, listener questions coming in in the spirit of uh, of post race tech at the moment. Um, the uh, by the way, late apologies for absence here from and- Andrew Mosley. Apologies for absence, but I'm partying with Uncle Max. That might win the apologies for absence tonight. Uh, Paul Marquardt uh, saying the speed zones were executed well and seemed to help maintain safety. I'm agreeing with Graham. We still got a race. And if I hadn't known about the speed limits, I don't think I would have even noticed at Flugplatz. Uh, Matt Hunter with a couple of questions. Is it... or? or points arising, I suppose. Is it a case that the wrong Audi won at N24? I'd have put my money on the number one car following up with a win and 
his second question how do they manage to the flags at the end 24 night i assume light system for yellows but oil etc let's take the first one of that first because that's an interesting point isn't it graham that the, the number one phoenix car did but both the phoenix cars the one and the four looked very very strong indeed in the early parts of the race after we got rid of that little bit at the beginning of the race where the three bmws held sway it was the number one car the defending champions with a very good driver lineup who looked to be in good shape Yep, yeah, but to finish first, fill in the gap, you first got yes, to finish. And yes, yes, yes. We may well have had a world record in that uh, the winning car, I think I'm right, John, was on fire twice. Yes, I think you are right. Um, well, we which, used to, we've had the old Danny Sullivan spin and win, uh, and it yeah. happened as well. It's in an American Le Mans season race, uh, ironically with a BMW um, LMP car, with, I think, Steve Soper at the wheel, coming down the hill at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. This is many years ago. Um, that spun and win. So, spin and win we've had. But w So, what do we have? Um, I'll have to come up with something that... The collective, help me out here. My brain's still mush from the weekend. So, on fire and then winning. If it's not spin and win, we've had the pass on the grass. We've had spin and win. What do we have for burning um, and then winning? Uh, you come up with that at Specutainment tonight. Yes, remarkable uh, for the for the winning car. But was it the right Audi? Um, yeah, I think it was. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a 24-hour race. And yes, you can go at this hammer and tongs. But if ultimately what happens is you end up in the barrier um, or you end up with a failure, then I'm terribly sorry. You've not played the right game. And in this instance, the WRT team at one point looked to be nowhere um, you know, uh, actually came through and took, I thought, a pretty convincing win. I'll say this much. I think they had something in hand I agree. Uh, in that car. Um, and... and we pretty much said so all the way through. Jim, I thought Jim Roller expressed it very well. It was like they were marking. Once they get ahead, it was like they were marking the BMW, doing enough to keep themselves ahead. They weren't going as fast as they could have and had been going but they were doing enough to maintain the gap. And what I saw, Graham, was every time that the Mark VDS BMW, by then the uh, main challenger in the second half of the race, was increasing its pace, the Audi could increase the pace almost at will, notwithstanding traffic, notwithstanding yellow flag zones, notwithstanding even weather, with one major exception, when they lost two and a half minutes in a slow zone on the rest of the field, because they hit it first, and then it was cleared up by the rest of by the time some of the field came through, or at least part of it was. They seemed to always be able to find extra pace that the others, frankly, just didn't have. Well, yeah, I think that's right. And there was an interesting quote yeah, earlier in the there. weekend from Reddy Rass that basically rather implied there was something rather uh, something more in the in the can for them, and. I think this does raise a question about next year's race, John. I'll say this much. Um, look, I want to see race cars running fast and hard. Mm. Uh, I think I said on air at the weekend, I remain slightly concerned about the pace of development in GT3 and just how much quicker these cars are. Reliable Well, let's estimates. make the point, Graham. We beat last year's race lap record by a full second in cars that are speed limited around yeah. on the fastest part of the circuit and two pretty quick parts. Of the well, I mean, the, the lap record, the lap, uh, the, the, the best lap of the race, I think I'm right in saying, was just below 8.20, correct? And the qualifying, it was an 8.17. Now, people I know to be um, knowledgeable about this circuit... It was, eight, it was an 18.8 against a 19.8 from last year, or a 17.8 against a, 
an 18 8 from last year. The yeah. race uh-huh. lap record went by a full second, and it was either yeah. a 17 8 to last year's 18 8 or an 18 8 to last year's 19 8. But it, it was it was getting close to qualifying pace, so I think you're probably it, right, yeah. But in terms of the potential qualifying pace, had we not had the speed limited zones in place, I'm being told that it was somewhere around an 805 or an 806. In the race. Uh, in qualifying. Right, yes. In qualifying against the 810 that we thought was otherworldly mm. last year by Kevin Estre. Now, you know, I think at this point you've got to say um, that that's already slightly of concern, bearing in mind the, the, the nature of the track. You then add into that for next year's race, as we said, I think, more than once on the broadcast at the weekend, John, that uh, the Audi will be the oldest German factory back car there because amg will be there with their new mg gt we'll have the new porsche 911 gt3r which by the way i believe um has not yet tested with its new engine oh my goodness um i think i think the testing that we've seen so far with that car has not been with the direct injection six and we'll also have the new bmw m6 gt3 so if ever there were a race that matters to the german factories to win, it's going to be next year's No Big Ring 24 Hours because that's their shot window. That's the point at which you truly will see how fast these things are capable of going. All right. Uh, before I ask you about flags and lights in the dark, um, Alan Prosser has come up burning while earning, which I quite like. Shea Adam, um, I know she's one of our own, so she can't take the prize, but she's in the leader in the clubhouse at the moment. I like Flame Then Tamed, a fire then finishes higher, but... I very like Chard then starred. That is <laughs> very good. I like that one. Chard then starred. None uh, of I... these, John, are mm-hmm. as good as the one from the 1996 uh, Argentinian Grand Prix. Or was it called Which the was? Grand Prix? Dinner's in the oven. Yes, no, that that was very good. Um, I, I'm not sure who it was in the in any of the cars who was uh, was getting uh, flame grilled at the time, um, and. Serious. Talk about flags in a minute. Serious. We're making a joke about that because nobody got hurt. There was no serious repercussions. But Graham, all joking aside, and keep those coming in, by the way, because I like them. At Specutainment or at Radio Le Mans, we've had spin and win, the pass on the grass, uh, to be in flames, then win a race. Charge, then start, says uh, Shea Adam, and I, I like that one at the moment. There is a serious... There are, could be, could have been serious repercussions for those incidents, none of which were really disastrous at the time. It was, uh, in, in most cases, Graham, it was a, a bit of, probably a bit of vapour or a bit of spilled fuel that went awry. They looked far more spectacular than, than, it, than it really is, as is ever the case. But that was worrying. Not one, not two, but three separate incidents that we saw, uh, one of which was quite serious with the whole roof of players on a car. And indeed, uh, a mechanic at the Mark VDS team injured as a result of exactly that. Exactly true. I think certainly the race organisers will want to take a look at those incidents. And in particular, um, I guess the question here is, it was, well, one car twice, but two leading teams. So um, you would expect, wouldn't you, the top professional teams, OK, they're trying to rush their way through a pit stop. But you would expect them to be the more professional of the teams in that pit lane. So I think there will be questions asked about how that happened and to look at what needs to be done to prevent it from happening again. Fire in any pit lane is a worry. Fire in that pit lane is plain terrifying. Uh, 
a flame then fame from uh, Nick Parker and uh, Matt Hunter getting in almost at exactly the same time. Um, Paul Sharp just following up with what we're saying. How much slower were the limited zones than the full racing speed? Well, Paul, a good question. In the first part, it was 200 kilometres an hour. Um, over the jump before the Flugplatz. A lot of people think that the, the jump is the Flugplatz. It's not. The Flugplatz are the next two right-handers, and it's called the Flugplatz, not because the cars get airborne there. It's because over on the left-hand side, there used to be an airfield. might even still be a, a grass strip there, actually. Um, that was 200 k's. Then it went up to 250 k's up until the top of the hill before Arenberg, where you go up, 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 and then there's that left-hander just over the brow before you go into Arenberg and down through the Foxhall, which is that lovely twisty, wiggly bit. Um, that was a 250k limit. And then on the long Dottiger Hall, coming pretty much about 100 metres out of uh, Gallenkopf after the, the gallows head turn, uh, the double apex right-hander, it was 250 all the way down till just before the Tiergarten, which is the little chicane right at the end. So all the way through under the Bilstein Bridge and the left-hander. Now, I wasn't sure how much difference that would make, if I'm honest. But on the onboards, you could clearly hear, could you not, Graham, that those guys were on the speed limit. They're pretty much right at that line for all of those areas and did not accelerate any further. Now, it, that might not seem like it's killing a, a, a lot of speed and, and momentum. But down the Dottigahoe, it was really noticeable how much longer it took them to get down there, getting on for a minute, when it used to be probably... There's 57, 58 seconds that last that last run down when it used to be, I think, from the split times last year, there was almost about four seconds right there. Um, yeah, I think certainly depending on who you believe, the difference is between eight and 12 seconds for the lap, I think yeah. is what it comes down to. And I would tend to agree with that, certainly for the quicker cars. And you're right, John. I mean, they were hitting that limiter a lot quicker than I thought they possibly could have done. Um, there were some, I thought, some pretty clever ways around some of the other issues. Of course, that some part of the, the issues for some of the teams is they don't necessarily have a variable speed limiter, so you've got to find some other way of doing it. Yeah. The and the other thing was, was, and Andrew's asked this: Were they running lower ratio boxes, giving better acceleration? We were, we were discussing this, were we not? It's GT3, so you're not allowed to. I don't think they can. I think, yeah. they, it, I think it's a fixed. Uh, Homologation. But I mean, the one that uh, I must admit appealed to me was Mal Rose in uh, one of the more production based Aston Martins, who found out that he put it in top gear, the thing wouldn't do more than 198 kilometers an hour anyway. And that was near <laughs> enough. So uh, that works for me. I, I, don't, I don't think it took away from very much. The one bit that I missed was the traditional drag race down the Dottinger. Yeah, I agree. And I, as a purist, I, I do did miss that. But you know what? If that's the price of having that race continue, and if that's the price of keeping the people. Um, by the fences, uh, you know, safe and sound. I'm more than prepared to pay that price. Um, roasted then toasted. Neil Wooding. Oh, that's good. I like that a lot. I actually thought toasted then toasted, but there you go. Yeah, very good. Well, yes. <laughs> Don't have uh, too many toasters. Inferno to in first, says Nick Holland. Flaming donuts. I quite like that as well. Flaming to the flag. Splash, flash and dash says Thomas Pitts. Oh, that's very good. Uh, and the, for me, the best thing of the weekend was the Manta underscore Foxtail Twitter account, which is still going. Uh, is it six? Has it got 600 followers now? Amazing. From nothing at the weekend. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. Right, uh, Graham, stay with us. We'll have you back in a moment. We're just hearing that we can go across to uh, to Marshall Pruitt, who is in Indianapolis. This is very exciting. Uh, good evening here, but I suppose it's good afternoon to Marshall Pruitt. Evening, MP. 
Good afternoon, brother. How are you? I am very, very well. In the uh, you're in the confines of the media centre at the moment, MP. I'm sorry, but there's only one thing to talk about here, and it's the thing that we hate to talk about about motor racing crashes in, and in inju- <laughs> Yes. Oh, sorry. Cra- crashes, injuries, and particularly. Uh, our good friend, the mayor of Hingetown. First of all, condition uh, of James Hinchcliffe at the moment. Well, the good news is today IndyCar uh, posted that uh, no more surgeries are expected for him. So it sounds like they've been able to uh, address everything that needs to be addressed and his rehabilitation. We don't know how long that's going to be, but uh, everything I've been told by folks who know uh, say that uh, we are unlikely to see him back in a car this year um, and can't speak to any time in the future when that would happen. But it, we've at least heard uh, not to expect him back in a car this year. Uh, do we know what happened in his incident, which was markedly different from the others, which we'll talk about at the moment? It looked like a failure from what I've seen, MP. Yep, yeah, that's exactly it. An unexpected uh, routine, the right front suspension rocker arm, which connects the uh, right front suspension through the push rod, which connects to the damper, the actual rocker, which connects those two, broke. Uh, I've seen a photo of it, posted a story about that today where they uh, the series confirmed and Delara confirmed it was indeed a component failure. The only question is uh, that that part was manufactured in November of 2011 that specific part had 14,000 miles of uh, life and use on it. And they've had some teams tell me they have a, a relatively aggressive lifing program for that component. After 5,000 miles, it's thrown away. New one is put on. And I've also had a few teams tell me that they don't. That, that's it. That part has never been a problem, uh, never has yet to be prone to failure. So there are other teams who, frankly, are now looking at having to uh, move up and create a uh, an exit plan at a much more aggressive mileage number. So you could point and say, well, the team was negligent and they should have replaced it sooner. But the fact is I spoke with a couple of teams, one big and one small, that said uh, could have happened to us because we've had uh, we've been in the same mindset with that part. It's a tough one, isn't it? And it, it should not be about blame. Uh, right now it's about hoping that James uh, gets well soon and the good news is he seems to be out of any uh, imminent danger it uh, it looked pretty bad for a while Uh, let's move on quickly because I know you've got a lot to do today and thank you for making some time for midweek motorsport it is really appreciated the the other incidents that have happened have all been rather worryingly similar cars getting out of shape for whatever reason tagging the wall but as soon as they go backwards lifting off the ground we all know what a wing does in one direction it'll create downforce clearly in the other it creates lift but nobody was expecting to see this Marshall and I can imagine some very furrowed brows thankfully no major injuries but it is a major a major worry at the moment it is uh, and it's a, not just a worry, but one that, uh, if we're to be really honest, uh, one of the pieces I've been noodling on for far too long now and keep having to push back is titled Information Underload, because that's frankly what we've been in the midst of 
all month long since Elio flew, then we had Joseph, then we had Ed Carpenter. Uh, there are now granted there are some threads you can weave that connect. Uh, the the one primary one which every in, expert on the internet has done is all three <laughs> were Chevys using the Chevy Arrow kit. Uh, of the three. Only Elio's uh, was a true aerodynamic takeoff, meaning the car turned around. Uh, there was a slight crash involved, but he didn't. He barely glanced off the wall. There was very little speed scrubbed. He basically came into the corner at you know 230 spun, had the majority of that speed maintained, was backwards, and all that airspeed plus the pressure buildup at the back of the car created the uh, backwards-based flip uh, with Joseph's car. Uh, the left rear tire uh, was punctured, and uh, as I was told, you know, normal pressure for the left rear is something in the 35-pound range or so. Uh, he went into turn one with that left rear at 18 pounds, approximately half inflated, uh, and that's what caused him to spin. So again, part of this, part of the discussion, if not the entire discussion, uh, we need to divine the differences between body kits and just the cars are magically flying and their flaws versus a bit of reality. Elio's car took off. That was aerodynamic flight with purely with Joseph. That was a cut tire that caused him to spin. So it wasn't aerodynamic instability that caused the spin. That was a tire problem. When he did get backwards, uh, he did start to climb up the wall a bit. And so that's a, a differentiator from Elio's. Elio's was a flat spin per se and took off essentially all, you know, almost flat from the ground. With Joseph, he spun backwards, hit backwards, and the back of the car started to climb up the, the barrier, exposed the floor, and that's when it took off. With Ed Carpenter, he had very much the same thing, but took off even more. Spin backwards, hit the wall, climbed up, but climbed up even higher, and took off even more. Um, there's a lot of theories as to why, Heidi, as to why these flights are taking place. A reminder for everyone, uh, go and Google, uh, I believe it's Jim Crawford. Yeah. I might have been 82 at Indy. I'm probably off of my year. But you want to talk about an aerodynamic flight on a car with tunnels like this. Uh, it's been going on for decades since underbody and underwing aerodynamics came into open wheel motorsport. Uh, but with this, are are there definitely some things about the aero kit that could be making it easier? Yeah, I'd think. I mean, I'd think you'd be an idiot to say there are certainly some of the changes for 2015 have made it easier for these cars to fly. But it it's absolutely baseless to say that the aero kits themselves are causing the cars to fly backwards ground effects cars have been flying for decades that's the thread do we think there's some things on the uh, Chevy Aero kit that could possibly be uh, helping that yes we also saw our friend James Hinchcliffe crash smash the entire right side of the car uh, to the point where there was no floor left hindy and he got turned around and the car lift up kind of like a sail flipped up and then came back down there too so you know, and that's uh, essentially with very little of the aero kit left, you could say. I mean, if mm. you look at that car, the condition it was in when it lifted up, there were very few aerodynamic pieces left on it other than the floor. So uh, I'm not trying to beat, a, uh, beat the point to death here, but it, you know me as an engineer. If I could pick out the things where you go, aha, here are two or three things that connect them all and we have a conclusive answer, I'd say it. There is not one at this point, and anyone saying that they know 
this part did it or that part did it uh, is talking out of a certain orifice that isn't their mouth. Yeah, I understand what can be done, if anything. That's the, the $54 million question. Uh, is there anything that can be done? Uh, are there any measures that are likely to be taken, Marshall, that might change the way the race looks at the weekend? Not at the moment. I think we are going to, uh, I haven't heard anything at least, there are going to be any changes from what we had. So for those who uh, uh, weren't able to keep up with all the changes, and there were many, uh, after the spate of uh, flights and crashes, IndyCar changed the rule, uh, basically said everybody must run lower down, I'm sorry, low low boost. So they took power away, which took uh, three, four, five miles an hour away um, from ultimate speeds. And they also mandated that everyone qualified in the trim they planned to race in. So that forced everyone to go to the, quote, higher downforce, uh, higher drag uh, body configuration. So it wasn't, you know, we're not talking massive numbers, but moved the conversation into an area where we'd seen the cars were more stable with the uh, higher downforce call it race trim that everybody ran in Monday through last Thursday. Uh, and let me just add one other thing. And this is, you know, an interesting point. Uh, spoke with at length with one driver last night who said, even in high downforce uh, with the aero kits, you don't feel the car as much as you used to. It's more nervous. It's more numb. You mm. can't necessarily even, you're not even exactly sure what the tire is going to do. The tire feels like it's on top of the racing surface compared to, you know, truly dug in and embedded like it was. So, I mean, hey, clear that there is more work to be done here to understand aero kits. Last thing I'll mention on this topic, Heindy, and this is a bigger item, uh, timeline of the Aerokit introductions had road course kits delivered to teams on March 1st. They were able to get them installed, painted and otherwise, and were testing about a week later. They were then on track practicing at St. Pete about 10 days or so after that. Team showed up for the first four races, all road or street courses, with approximately three to five days of uh, private testing or, or public testing with their road course aero kits. Then we showed up to Indianapolis, the fastest most lethal, most tricky and intricate track IndyCar visits, maybe any series Mm -hmm. visits in terms of setup, a slight ambient change, a slight wind direction change can just fundamentally alter the handling of the cars. We went into the first four races with teams having between three and five days of testing with the road course kits. The biggest, scariest, most important race on the calendar Teams were given a single test day. It happened while I was at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. I'm just saying from a planning standpoint, Heindy, how do you do that and have any confidence that things are going to work out? Well, guess what? They haven't. Everyone in that paddock is getting bit by the planning uh, and timeline laid out by uh, by the series where everyone knows lots about the road course and street course stuff, but the big place where it matters most, massive information void. Mate, I know you've got lots to do. Uh, It's going to be a very, very busy weekend. All the best to you and wish all of our friends out there the very best for an exciting, entertaining, but most of all, top of the list, a safe Indy 500 this weekend, mate. Cheers. Amen, brother. On to Formula One news now, and our Formula One correspondent is Nick Damon, who uh, is absent uh, from this week's show, but I think we can talk to him live now. Nick, where are you? Um, 
uh, I'm, at a, I'm at a party. It's, it's an 18th birthday party. Not yours. You're never 18. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I'm reliving somebody else's youth. It, you Excellent. were 18 once, once of course, presumably. Uh, yeah, different century. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1970s, <good>. wasn't it? <laughs> uh, well, moving. Whose, whose birthday party are you at? I'm at the birthday party of Ash. Ah, okay. Well, that's all right. Well, thank you for taking the time out. Um, nice. it, it's, it's actually uh, somewhat appropriate, uh, Tim, is it well, not, it's, that it's he's a birthday? Well, first of all, it's appropriate that we uh, that it's birthday, and we'll come on to that in a moment, but also appropriate that uh, we asked Where's Nick, because that reminds me that we need to deliver clue number two for this week's Where's Tim. Right, which... Obviously, clue one at the top of the show, no one uh, has got it from that, so here comes clue number two. Mm-hmm. Despite the name, there was no social media activity. Despite the name, there was no social media activity. Sounds like the disco started where... Uh... Nick is. Uh, it's, it, it's non-stop social activity here. There's there's there's, there's Facebooking, Instagramming, Tumbling, Pinteresting, the whole lot's going on. So you gather teenagers together. They occasionally look up from their phones and make eye contact. Okay, sounds reasonable. Uh, why is it appropriate that our foiling one correspondent is, is is at a birthday party, Tim? Uh, because last weekend was Formula One's birthday. And how old was the grand old dame? 65. Ah, so <laughs> bus pass time then and uh, retirement. Time to yeah, retire? Yeah, maybe it's time to retire Formula One. Well, uh, actually, mm, thinking about it, Bernie's not going to like the modern buses because they're hybrids. Ah, uh, it's very good. They don't uh, make the same noise as those, uh, as those route masters used to, do he, they? He, he misses the enormous frightening <laughs> of air brakes, doesn't he? <laughs> and, the, uh, and presumably the conductor standing on the back step as well. That'd be CVC partners taking all the money. Moving, you've gone very quiet all of a sudden. Mo- moving on, um, uh, Formula One this week, this weekend will be at Monaco. Monaco, yes. Monaco, uh, greatest race of the year. Well, no. Normally, if it wasn't for how bad Spain was, the worst actual race of the year, but the greatest event of the year. Uh, well, the the event where more business gets done and more money is spent, and it has more expensive coffees than anywhere else I would think oh you've got to have plenty of coffee okay um, what else uh, has been happening in Formula 1 this week Tim well quite a lot um, and first of all retirement for Formula 1 would not be a good idea uh, for the people of Malta really yes La Malte du uh, because the the Maltese Parliamentary Secretariat for Research, Innovation, Youth and Sport. Right. Does that really exist? Yes. Oh, my goodness me. Um, is uh, intending still there, Nick? We lost you there for a minute. Yes, yes, I'm here. Okay. It's intending to build a uh, Formula One circuit. <laughs> ah, it is not. Yes, what, it is. The Valletta Grand Prix. Uh if you've uh, seen this month's uh, race car engineering magazine, and if you haven't, why not? Because it's been out because, for three weeks. Let me tell you right now. Because Sam Collins, still after six years, has not sorted out my subscription. Yes. <laughs> and he's reneged on the bet that gave me mine as well. Man, it's untrustworthy. Really. Um, okay, I'll buy this for a dollar. When, when are we expecting to see this? So if you've seen the uh, Rescue Engineering magazine, you'll have seen an advertisement in it uh, which calls for expressions of interest uh, for people to build and run uh, a Category 1 circuit 
uh, in Malta. How on earth can Malta afford the rights and everything for that? Well, obviously, Malta does not want to host a Formula 1 World Championship Grand Prix. It wants to host some winter testing. Really? But it's only eight days of that a year. Well, not just for Formula 1. Oh, right, OK. Uh, obviously... Formula One teams uh, are very keen on uh, testing uh, in the winter. Can, can I point out a flaw in Malta's plan? Yes. <laughs> it's an island in the middle yes. of basically nowhere, whereas all the Spanish circuits are connected by what's called land. And with, roads. Um, the vast majority of Europe, and the only bit they're not connected with is a really lovely tunnel you can go through. Yes. I'm uh, not but I think, okay, okay. Barcelona, if you remember the last two years, has had a few problems with low temperatures. Yes. And further south. Jerez is further south, mm-hmm. and that has a problem with its track surface. What about Portimao? Uh, is that That's in Portugal and Spain. Is that still a T1 circuit? Was it not downgraded? Only uh-huh. because they... Uh, didn't have any testing and therefore didn't need to pay the money. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's a T2, uh, sorry, a, a level grade 2 circuit which could be made a grade 1 T uh, with the uh, payment of some money to the FIA. Monte Blanco was built as a Formula 1 test circuit. That's in Spain as well. Mm. But Aragon, that's F, is that F1 T? I want to see a sports that's a, car race that's there. grade 2. I want to see a sports car race at Aragon. I really want to see a sports car race at Aragon. I'd like to see anything that's not World Series by Renault there, to be honest. The bikes always look fantastic there. Oh, can we have Nick talk about bikes as well? Keep him away from we the party will, a bit longer. We will be asking him about bikes in a bit, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll miss out on those horrible multicoloured sweet slammers they love so much. <laughs> I hope you're not driving. I've got a taxi booked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Ubering it today. Oh, are you? Okay. Carry on. I think just uh, it's not necessarily a clue, but uh, I did have a very colourful cocktail uh, where I was on Monday night. If that might help someone determine where Tim now, was this week. Steve, you have a very colourful cocktail um, in Atlanta. It means something else entirely, doesn't it, John? Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, move on with more Formula One news before I lose the will to live. Uh, so last Thursday or Friday was it? The Thursday uh, thing, and Friday told us what they said. Right, so last Thursday they had a meeting of the FIA yes. um, thing. World strategy. Cha- well, uh, strategy. strategy. It wasn't the World Motorsport Council. Yes, sorry, no. it, was, it, was the, it was the FIA it was the strategy, strategy group. strategy group. Yeah. Yes. And what did they conclude, Nick? Well, they want to save lots Stop of money. Shouting. By spending, well, it's background noise. Well, they want to save a lot of money by spending more money. Oh, hang on, let's forget about the saving money. How'd. <laughs> How does spending more money save money, Nick? It doesn't, um, but that's the problem. Um, in the, to be more positive, um, the ideas they come up for next year, um, which is, as we mentioned um, about four or five weeks ago, was suggested by Bob Fernley from uh, Force India, where to give it a bit of variance out there, they, they have suggested, picked up his, his proposal in that at every race, that the teams can choose any two of the four Pirelli tyres. Um, super soft, soft, medium and hard. So, you know, you may find that... You know, when, when are you going to have to make that decision, Nick? Apparently two weeks before each race. All right, and then once you've done it, you're stuck with them. You're so stuck if, with it. If, no the weather, if, the weather, if the weather changes and it gets stupidly hot, 
uh, and you're on the um, gummy bears tyre, yep. uh, it's just bad luck for you. Absolutely. Yes. Right, and what about two, how many weeks will you you'll get? you'll get a reasonable weather forecast, and it's also a long enough lead time for Pirelli to actually make and transport them. Right, OK. Um, and basically, it's the same number of sets as before. Your, your harder of your two choices will be called your prime tyre, and your softer of your two choices will be called your option. Now... This is going to be, an, this, is, this is quite good because effectively it's a zero cost uh, attempt to make things slightly more interesting. Um, obviously, at certain circuits, it's going to make no difference because um, this weekend in Monaco, they'll choose super soft and soft, and every team will choose super soft and soft uh, for here, for um, Hungary as well, for a couple of the circuits where that's all that works. It's more the kind of middle of the season circuits where. You know, you, you, if you, especially if you find you've got a car that's either A, light in its loafers or B, a bit heavy uh, it, on its tyre wear, uh, that you can then start adjusting those, those choices rather than perhaps going for, you know, soft and medium. If you've got a car that's a bit more heavy on tyre wear, so you go for soft and hard. You know, so you've got the qualifying tyre, then it's like a harder race tyre. So that's when things get slightly more interesting. And that obviously, what they're trying to promote there is teams who have got different chassis characteristics having half a chance of beating Mercedes, is that right? They're just trying to throw another variable in. Okay. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's the problem they've had. Is that, is, you know, this is the reason we've got these degrading tyres, is because they wanted to throw a variable in. Well, it's, you know, it, this now throws another variable in. Um, All right, the $56 million question then. Will it work, Nick? Um, I think it's... Um, some races it will. Uh, some races it definitely will. Some races make no difference. Someone's going to make a mistake. It really depends. Where it might really work is if, if, if somebody does what um, a couple of the teams did two or three years ago. I think it was 2013 when we had those huge problems with Pirelli tyres um, delaminating and they ended up having to make them harder halfway through the season. But a couple of the teams, I think it was Force Indian, it may have been Sauber, had built cars that were really, really good on the, on the softer, lighter compounds. Um, but they got penalised when everyone else couldn't run them. Well, that won't happen now because if you can get a car that can work really well and soft and super soft and doesn't wear them out, then you, you've got an advantage. You can pull through the season. Um, and if you've got a car that's heavy on its tyres, you, you, you just have to use a harder compound. But so, you're still, Nick, you're still going to have to use both your um, nominated compounds yes. within the race. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, okay. and same rules. It still be you'll be qualifying. You'll be starting. If you're in the top ten, you'll start the race on the tyres you qualified in sec, uh, section two of qualifying. So yeah, they're, they're, all they're doing is it just mean that, that there is a choice of free choice of tyres amongst the four compounds. It hasn't. It, this is the proposal. Um, and yeah, I mean that's it's it's quite a. a, a it's not just a proposal. So you have voted on it. Yes, but it hasn't been officially written into fact yet, has it? No, and Pirelli, Pirelli have gone there monitoring, and they th- and they put a couple of they, had, they did a bit of naysaying before the meeting. They've been a bit quiet since. Um, but as you say, I think it shouldn't really affect them. So, well, they're worried about safety. They're worried about people running a car that isn't eminently capable of running super soft and running them and having some sort of delamination and that sort of stuff. They're worried. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole... Well, that's down to the team at that point, isn't it? You can only... Come on, you can only baby them so much. It's the same as giving... Um, that party is getting louder. Um, it, you can only baby them so much. It's like giving uh, pressure and camber uh, angles to racing car teams that, you know, that, that aren't meant to be exceeded. Uh, and then... They do, and the inside, the inside edges of the tyres wear off, and you get you get punctures. We've seen that happen in all kind of racing, from mm-hmm. touring cars through GT. People are trying to get an advantage, and that's that's 
what this is, you're adding another variable in, that's what you're seeing. What the teams see is a chance to, to take an advantage, Nick. Yeah, I mean, if you can get a car that can run a compound softer than everyone else and keep keep you know, keep the tyres together, you're looking at, you know, probably half a second a lap. All right. Um, and, and as everyone's decided the cars are too slow and the, and, and the, the easiest way of actually making them go faster would be to build decent tyres, um, you know, that, that's something that they've turned around for next year and say it is theoretically zero cost, so well done them. Um, but obviously... Then, the, the, go on, Tim. No, go on, no, Tim. Go on. Okay, and then for 2017, they want to be noisy and aggressive. What, and the tyres? Noisy, no, aggressive, and, and on fire. Why on, yeah. fi- uh, why on fire? Well, they brought back refuelling. Which they uh, and is that definitely in now? Uh, well, it, no, it still needs to be approved by the, Yeah, but it still needs to be approved by the... Uh, World Motorsport Council. Oh, World Council. But, yeah, I mean, but you know what that means, don't you? It is good news in some way. It means that we don't have to see pit reporters in shorts and sandals in the pit lane. Oh, but not, they don't forget they're not allowed in the pit lane anymore. Since that cameraman got hit about a year and a half ago by the bouncing tyre, no pit reporters are allowed in the pit lane. They pit reporters weren't allowed the in the pit lane anyway. It was only cameramen that were allowed. I was? Yes, you were different. Oh, you were so special. I was special. Uh, if only I knew how special I was. Uh, no, seriously, but... Um, I think I mean people get oh great fueling back and, and you kind of get well it's a swings and roundabouts thing it, it will make the cars a bit quicker it will make them a little bit less hard than the tyres at the start of the and race all that means though Nick is everybody will go for the super softs and do 26 pit stops well yeah you have a limited number of tyres so you can't do that so uh, yeah but it does mean that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make the cars a little bit faster I mean the pit stops will be longer it might you know perhaps with the added weight when you come out of the pits perhaps they'll stop talking about the blooming undercut because it won't work as well with the extra weight who knows um, I think it's a bit of a retrograde step and it is obviously as people pointed out within three seconds of these regulations being printed not really going to save any money when you have to ship very heavy fuel rigs uh, fuel rigs around and provide three or four people to ban them at every event. Surely, if that was was anything said about pit stops and how many people can work on the cars, no. because if they're going to bring no. back, if they're going to bring back refueling, you cannot have twenty-two people around the car. Oh, um, no, you're right. Be twenty-six. Oh, no, but but when you saw Reliant Tim on non-friction systems with backup to slow the cars down and you've got somebody coming in just imagine how much worse the the run through the pit box the other day would have been there'd been somebody with a fuel rig there that had been pulled over and the fuel rig had fallen over or the thing had been pulled off and there was fuel in the line that ran out it just doesn't bear thinking about Mm, it's a nonsense to have that many people in front of a car doing 40 what is it 60 clicks 40 miles an hour I mean, I think the they can um, they can always do refueling uh, NASCAR style. What with churns? Yes. I mean, the thing to remember is, of course, is that it will take away the uh, that would only require the, two people. The, the mm. super speed. It will take away the super speed of the fuel of the tire changes because they'll be time limited by the uh, by the fuel rather than the uh, by the fuel flow rather than the actual tire changes. So I think I think it's a bad idea on a number of levels. But the again, they the could introduce a rule that uh, you're not allowed to touch the car while you're refueling. That's not yes. going to happen. But no. yes, they could and possibly should. The other thing is, um, uh, no, listen, uh, no, I'm not. Okay, so that's going to happen in 2017, Whippy. Uh, yep. In the meantime, well, they, also uh, they will. Sorry, they will uh, keep the maximum uh, race fuel allowance though, so you no, can't have an engine that burns um, burns lots of fuel. But we don't know what after. that is, do we, Nick? 
everyone's kind of assuming it's staying at 100 litres, but they, 100 kilograms, sorry. But they actually want to make the cars faster. They are looking to get, you know, a bit more higher revenue. It's looking to get a bit more power. They've, they've eased back from, from a few of the definitive statements on that. But they are looking to have wider tyres. They're looking to go for a... Um, but definitely not 18-inch because they look rubbish, apparently. No, the problem is, is that it does appear that one of the reasons why Pirelli are going to have to do what they're told about next year is that currently the next three-year tyre bidding is up and um, Bernie's very fond on Pirelli because Pirelli pay him lots of money, uh, whereas Michelin don't want to pay him lots of money, but we all think we'll do a better job. Um, And Bernie said things like, as as always, kind of, Turn around and go. Oh, Michelin couldn't do this, couldn't do that, and, and and people just go and say, "Have have you have you have you seen P1?" Yeah, you well, know. Uh, whilst whilst then it appears to this Formula One fan, and truly I am, that the deck chairs are being rearranged on the Titanic. Have they actually in this working group addressed any of the issues regarding the ridiculous amount of front arrow? that means cars can't follow each other. The fact that you need to have pass flaps to make any kind of uh, overtaking manoeuvres other than at Barcelona where actually you don't need them and they would have been better without them. Has anybody actually grasped the nettle, Nick, and put any of these that if you'd asked any Formula One fan anywhere, I'm sure bring back refuelling was not at the top of their list and other things were? No, but what they have said is they're going to make the cars five to six seconds a lap faster, and this will be achieved by aerodynamic rules evolution, which obviously can in- include... Um, a standard making, front wing. standard front wing, <laughs> or a front wing that's the full width, and therefore, or you know, a, a bat rebalancing from wings to underbody. Not say it's going to happen, but it could do. Uh, wider tyres, which means more mechanical grip, theoretically, and Good. therefore less reliance on aero and a reduction of car weight, which I'm not sure how they're going to do when they had to put the weight on to help heavier drivers, unless everyone's now managed to make everything much, much lighter than it was. So I'm a little bit... I mean, they are keeping the engines the same. Right, the engines will, will carry on. Is anybody struggling to meet the minimum weight? Though they've all got lead up. It's not lead anymore. It's, you know, unobtainium, but yeah, tungsten. Um, um, is anybody struggling to meet I the I think the they're getting close there. Some of the heavier drivers have still got issues with, you know, with, with, I think I think own, no one's overweight anymore. I mean, historically, obviously, South were horribly overweight last year. But I think everyone's on the weight limit, but obviously what they want to do is they'll, they'll then start putting as much ballast low down as possible. But yeah, I mean, I think trimming some weight off the cars would be a great idea. I mean, it, the problem is, John, and, and the basic fact of the issue is, is that what has happened within F1 has been that people have said there's a problem. They've tried to fix a problem, and then there's another problem. They try and fix that problem, and there's another problem. They try and fix that problem, and they never actually go back to fundamentals and go what was wrong in the first place. Um, mostly, you're absolutely right. We have a current issue where the revisions to the, to the aerodynamics this year to take the wing away from being full width to uh, um, effectively only covering half the front tyre has given huge issues, much bigger issues with following cars in front. It wasn't great last year, but it was, it was nothing like as bad. You stick that together with cars, with tyres that are incredibly sensitive to falling behind mm. another car. And that's your problem. The, the fact Well, you've, you've made the point I was going to make, Nick, that they've completely done a U-turn on what was happening a few years ago, which started with grooved tyres and mm. making tyres smaller to try and address corner speeds. But all that did was make the cars more uh, aero Oh, there's deer out in the woods. Um, oh, um, make the cars more aero-dependent and basically 
uh, allow Adrian Newey to write his own salary check. Uh, what we've done that, and, and at the time, what did everybody say? Everybody said, "Well, all you're going to do there is make the cars more aero-dependent, and you, somebody like Adrian Newey will come along and be able to write his own salary check." So we've done, you know, in the space of what eight, nine years, we've done a complete U-turn. Yeah, and I think I think I actually am a big fan of the current engine. It's a pity that the Renault haven't been able to build a decent one, but I think that they are they have a higher level of relevance. All right, not quite at the levels of LMP1, but it's still a much higher level level of relevance and they are not they never say it but they are doing the Grand Prix distance on 40% less fuel than they were it's you know a good thing and mm. apparently some of the the, 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 the hybridisation that is being used may actually begin to get into road cars so it's all that's all good news my feeling is that the problem there are two problems there one the, the problem with the rules being is that the lunatics are in charge of the asylum which is never <laughs> a good idea I mean, it's, we're not... All right, I am not an engineer, but I can tell you how to solve the basic problems. Then independent engineers, I'm sure, can build a rule book which makes it happen. And the cars go seven seconds fast because they're doing it with underbody air rather than open body. You can stick on a durable tyre that's quite hard and say you have to make two pit stops. If that's, I don't really, You know, you won't put pit windows in, it doesn't really matter. You have to have pit stops. I'm not necessarily believing that either myself. You obviously need one. And obviously refueling will bring that back with a more durable tyre, possibly, or a more racy tyre, shall we say, rather than one you have to baby the whole time. And and that is, you know, it, that is not difficult to do that if you've not got the people who run the, who are racing making the rules and therefore constantly looking for an angle themselves. They won't agree, therefore nothing gets done. The second real problem is, John, is nothing has been done within this to address the issues of the haves and have-nots. You know, the, the bottom teams are getting nothing more than they were with no indication they'll get anything more than they were. Um, some vague conversations apparently about th- about uh, customer teams, but that's not really what the question is. The question is about the fair distribution of, of uh, the money. The, ne- the next question is about should CVC be taking the, the cut they are? Um, you know, and that's that's the key element. You've got people who can't compete because financially you've got no money, and you've got cars which um, aren't as good as they could be because the people making the rules are the people driving the cars or racing the cars. Snick Damon, our Formula One correspondent at an 18th birthday party. Uh, he's got about a minute and 20 seconds to nip to the bar and get the round in for the youngsters before we'll have him back in the second hour of tonight's programme. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. Oh, some brilliant tweets coming in uh, tonight for uh, spin and win. Conflict rate to accumulate, says Declan Brennan at the race till. Brilliant stuff. Uh, we've also had Amy Tyso with Baker to take it. Burn, turn and earn from Mike Smith. And by the way, talking about birthdays, it's Jamie Chadwick, Aston Martin GT4 driver's 17th birthday today. Coming up in the second hour, Graham Goodwin is back with us. We'll talk some more sports car news and there's more of Nick Damon and that party. Plus, where's Tim? Still need to sort that one out as well. It's all still to come here on Midweek Motorsport Live on RadioLamont.com. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. And of course, the other 
point that we didn't mention to the F1 strategy group is that they've rejected uh, the possibility of having a fifth engine in 2015, which I thought we all knew was going to happen. Yeah, I think we did. Now, we sent Nick to the bar. I've left the fear drop, as you can hear, and the party is getting ever more raucous. Uh, I... I thought I heard during Still to Come that Nick was having a bit of bother at the... But Nick, are you there? Are you back? I'm back. I'm in a bit. It's a large one. Yes, whiskey. Yeah, fine. Okay, yeah, right. Just bikes. Just bikes. Okay. Hi. Uh, uh, are you getting? Sorry, you, sorry, but yeah. Are you getting a bit? Of, are you getting a bit of hassle for being away when you should well, be at the party? It's it's my car behind the bar. Ah, okay. Well, you want to keep an eye on that. See, this is the issue with technology nowadays that you can really do the show from from anywhere. Yes. Uh, before we go to bikes, Tim's got a couple of. Uh, so this is not going to go down well. Um, before we go to bikes, Tim's got a couple of extra Formula One stories. What do you have? Uh, well, uh, who is not frustrated? <laughs> not miss not after it. Not 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 Mrs. Dearman at the moment. Is <laughs> it either of the McLaren drivers? It's not. Is it either the Red Bull drivers? Yes. Is it Danny Ricardo? No. Is it Danny Danny Vidalkriviat? Yes, it is. Why is, is he, he not frustrated then? Is it he's not frustrated that, that Helmut Marco's an idiot? Because I am. Helmut Marco is suggesting that. Uh, uh, Daniel Kvyat isn't putting his uh, his uh, full efforts into uh, winning Grand Prix for Red Bull. Is it, is it me, or is is Helmut Marko the world's worst man manager? Does he look? Does he make Andre Villas Boas look like a champion amongst champions of people who can motivate people? Uh, well, of also Frank Williams, um, <laughs> who is is famously um, interesting in his uh, application of man management skills and negotiate, particularly at negotiation time. Do you want to hear exactly what Helmut Marko said, uh, John? No. Have you got a clip or are you just going to read it? No, because he didn't say it uh, in a broadcast environment. He uh, was giving an interview to the small newspaper. It's not Kleiner's item. Kleiner's item, very good. Yeah. Come on, quickly. Uh, our established guys need to look out. Paradoxically, the more experienced ones did the better job in Barcelona. Why is that paradoxical then? You'd expect your more experienced guys to do. No, the more inexperienced ones. Oh, right, okay. It's the in out, that one. All right, okay. I didn't because hear the Verstappen word. Because and Science, uh, obviously. Because they were driving. And, a, and they were driving a different car. A better car. It's like saying, oh, those guys who drive a Ferrari are better than us. No, <laughs> no. What it's like seeing is a, a football manager, using your Andre Villas analogy again, saying. Our guides need to look out because Barcelona are much better than Burnley. Mm. And they both start with a B, so why is that? Yes, exactly. Mm. He is getting a bit of a renter quote. Um, I know it's getting loud there, but try not to be so close to the mic, Nick. Okay. Um, uh, He is getting a bit of a renter quote. Uh, Any more Formula One news before we move on? Oh, plenty. Oh, come on. It's this time of year, you know. Monaco time. Monaco, everyone's doing uh, new stories. Dealing, dealing, dealing. Uh, who uh, doesn't regret uh, being in Formula One? Jensen Button. No. Honda. No. Uh, Fernando Alonso. No. Could be been anyone, really. Gene Haas. He's oh. not in yet. He's not in. He doesn't, he doesn't. That's like saying I don't regret being in the England cricket team. <laughs> do you not? No, well, I do it fairness. 
I think that, so Gene Haas doesn't regret being in Formula 1 despite the fact that he's not actually in Formula 1 yet but is he Gene will Haas, be soon. Uh, is Gene Haas now retired officially from American Rugby Union as well yeah <laughs> he's put that press release out there on Some Haas, time ago, Haas yeah. F1 uh, on Haas F1 headed paper I think um, ok uh, right ok so he uh, let's accept he's part of the Formula 1 paddock which he's not quite yet his wind time time is very useful apparently ah what, what, what was that in response to? We did that to? last week. Tim, yes. what's that in, that in response to, though? It's all very well saying that. But no, what? I think it was uh, just uh, that he needed to send out another press release this week. <laughs> is, it, is it because uh, he isn't getting any, any, any column centimetres in America at the moment because it's Indie Week? Probably. Ah, Nick Damon. Neil, hit squarely on heads, young man. Well done. Well done. Uh Mano F1, um, Mano Marussia have taken up half of ProDrive's place, haven't they? Have they? I thought they were, were trying to find something. Oops. Is, is that not what the announcement is? The announcement is they're close to finalising a deal for uh, a new uh, factory. Yes, they're close to finalising, therefore they haven't finalised it, they haven't signed anything and no one's seen any money. Uh, but it means they'll move out of uh, Dinnington and uh, Silverstone. They are renting uh, or sub-renting uh, part of a unit that houses another motor racing <laughs> a keep. Of course. Why yes. wouldn't you? No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I believe the Manor Formula 3 team... Is the Manor Formula 3 team... Did it move to Wales? Or was that a different Formula 3 team? I, I, you've got us on that one, Tim. Honestly. Um, yeah, you win that one. Our our level of interest um, has, has not been waned. has not, not been not sparked there. Really, the, come on, we've done enough on this. Can we uh, give us something? Do you want to talk about bikes? Give us something meaty, yes. or move on to bikes. Bikes then. Okay. And uh, of course, it was uh, MotoGP at Le Mans. It was, which I haven't seen yet, other than a couple of snippets on German uh, news on Sunday night. But yes. it was another win. Uh, Nick for Jorge Lorenzo, two out of two. Is this a comeback? Um, these are the Jerez and, and Le Mans are, both, are two of his very good circuits. Yeah. Um, but yes, but basically he also said um, after that he's very good. He's very good at racing when there aren't any other bikes in front of him. So as long as he can get on pole and get away every single time, he has no issues with the rest of the championship. Did he really say that? That's pretty. That's pretty honest of him. Uh, he, he, I think he has hit this honesty thing recently, hasn't he? He's kind of gone. Yes. Look, I, I had a bad. I had a bad time. I'm on, on my way back. Um, you know, Lorenzo uh, with nobody in front, I can break perfectly. Yeah. So, all right. Nothing to distract him, maybe. Um, yeah, and he hasn't got. He can break his distances and go away with anyone else. There we are. Yeah. But he did. He did very well. He got. He got away. Um, he was a good battle in the, the early laps with the Ducatis of uh, Dovizioso and uh, Ianoni, despite his displayed shoulder. Rossi again qualified poorly. Made a reasonable start to fifth. Um, dispatched um, Marquez, who started on pole, got bumped and then cocked up. Uh, Rossi slowly got past the two Ducatis, but um, then Lorenzo had a bit in reserve and pulled away a, a comfortable three-second lead. The really interesting thing was that Marquez had a terrible time. Um, in he slowly went backwards. Um, he, he's, he wasn't good at Le Mans last year, though, from memory, was he? Or was that because uh, it was wet there wet. last year? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I've right, just, just, that's just come back to me. How did Pedroza do back after his arm pump? I, he was doing all right. I did manage to catch a bit of qualifying. 
um, and he seemed to be putting competitive times in. But what I didn't see was how he lasted through the race. Well, he did. He crashed the, at the end of the first lap. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, but he picked it back up again and went round. But I haven't actually seen any report. I think he, he he completed the race about 17th or 18th. So no points. From the commentary, he was a sort of a second to lap off whilst he was doing that. But I don't. I've not seen anything um, actually about whether his arm was good or bad. I've got to say, I do like bike racing round the. To, uh, round the Bugatti circuit, which I need to call yeah. the Ducati circuit there. Round the Bugatti circuit. It did seem to be a bit of a Ducati circuit uh, early on, um, and it produced some decent racing. Had a good crowd there uh, oh, as, a, as very, well. Very good crowd. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a great, it was, it, was, it was a very good race again. I mean, it just, it just died off in the last five or six laps when you realised that the uh, that Rossi wasn't going to get Lorenzo. Lorenzo, obviously, with these two wins, has managed to win back a bit of his, um, I suppose, was a reputation really after I, well, well I think confidence mate I think mm. confidence is the word um, because but, he he was looking a little bit out of sorts yeah and I think it's, it's come at the right time obviously Marquez is there is, is, is also suffering I'm beginning to wonder whether he's suffered the last three or four races because he's not had a fit teammate to bounce off mm. whether the, yeah, the, he had yeah. the, the test drive for a couple of races who isn't particularly yeah, good and obviously Pedrosa's not going to be really healthy at the moment he's got too many health issues to worry about now, the question, and they're not saying necessarily here, it may be that perhaps a Honda engineers couldn't pick up information um, mm. to actually to work the bikes and work the tyres. You know, when you've only got one bike, one competitive bike, you're only getting one set of tyre information. Because Good point. And, but, you know, Are the, the Yamahas the bikes to have this year with Rossi and Lorenzo ahead of the field? Um, Rossi's, uh, uh, Rossi's lead cut to 15 points. He and Lorenzo have got two wins apiece. Mark Marquez, the only one in the top five with a win, but he is 33 points behind. Davizioso in third position, 19 points back, and Iannone at 41 points back. So are we... Is this because Mark Marquez just hasn't come out the blocks firing? Is the Honda not as good as we thought it was? Or this year, is the, the Movistar Yamaha better than we expected. The massive advantage that the Marquez Honda combination had last year isn't there, and most of that is because um, the Honda is a little bit is it has not gone forward as much as the others. And then the most obvious thing is, of course, that it was the only bike with a seamless box last year. Now that seamless box is on the uh, the uh, Yamaha, and, and, and if anyone knows how, what well, that's not just the advantage it is within Formula One, where you get you actually gain from not losing anything during a gear change if you think about it john the smoothness of power delivery in a bike you know smoothing that out how much of an advantage is that going to be when you're trying to power out corners you know you get yeah. a much more settled machine going up and down the box now also of course we've seen a massive resurgence in ducati their bike's gone from being awful to you know really really close to being on the pace and it's in many ways it's only the resurgence of yamaha that stopped them from winning this time and i, and I think what we will see as the season ebbs and flows is that certain tracks will suit certain riders Hopefully, it's going to be close all the way. Um, and I'm sure Ducati will win one or two races as well along the line. Uh, in and Michelo next, which should be great. Yeah, and in the Mortal 3 category, Danny Kent for Leopard Racing leads the uh, standings, 104 points to Ania Battistini uh, on 67, and Efren uh, Vasquez on 60. In Mortal 2, Johan Zarko... Uh, is still at the top of the standings, 89 points to Thomas Luti, uh, many people's pre-season favourite on 68 points, and Giannis Folger 
uh, in third position with Sam Laws on 54 points, just three points away from Folger uh, in third. Uh, both Espargo, so we'll try and get this right, Espargo brothers uh, went through surgery this week. Did they? I didn't know both of them had surgery. Yeah, um, uh, happened on Tuesday and they both went through it was compa- it was Paul was compartmented surgery wasn't it um, Alex was a damaged right hand he had a big high side at Le Mans on Saturday which I did see yes uh, yes bizarrely he came back uh, and qualified but um, a clutch problem I think was his issue uh, when he went home on Monday he needed surgery on a rupture of the ulnar collateral ligament of the metacarpal Paul phalangeal joint of the right thumb. And Easy I, I was reading that, obviously. Uh, Paul, the younger, uh, arm pump issues. We've talked about this mm. before. It's really nasty as well for, for bike riders. And I've got to say, mate, um, that's a slippery slope, isn't it, Nick? Because there's very few people who have had surgery and come back and then not have to have it again. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a relation of carpal tunnel syndrome, isn't it, arm pump? It's, yeah. uh, and it is a real problem. I think people don't realise. I mean, if you if you look at bikes, it, it obviously looks you know quite physical, but you don't actually realise the amount of physicality of weight going through your through your arms when you brake. You know, you're bracing yourself. You're you're decelerating at, at even a bike at one or probably two Gs, and that puts the weight through your arms. And 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 it's an incredibly physical wrist and lower arm based exercise a lot of it that's where you, there's a lot of huge amount of strength in strange places of the human body and, and this is what made Pedroza miss three rounds uh, he had surgery earlier in the season um, although again that was a second uh, that was a oh, second or third that's, or fourth yeah, or that's a lot. That's yeah a lot. Um, believe it or not uh, the specialist is saying that Paul should be riding in nine days time eight days time nine days time mm. Um, at the the next Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. If you look at motorcycle riders, the, the fact is that the, the difference between the riders now and the riders, you know, 35 years ago, I mean, in Formula 1, it's completely different. The drivers are completely different look to them. They're, you know, their their level of safety is through, is, it, and the number of injuries they get is, is so, so thankfully, so rare. The number of injuries the MotoGP riders has been reduced, but it's been reduced by two things, and that's actually the design of the circuits and the fantastic yeah. advance in the leathers. The fact is they're having as many nasty crashes as they had before, and that's why you see so many finger injuries and wrist injuries, because yeah, it's yeah. very difficult to protect those, even with modern gloves, modern gloves, modern leathers, or, and modern circuits. Yeah, the, the major injuries, they can protect them. They, you, when you slide off the bike, you don't hit anything. You slide, you slide and slide and slide, and eventually, or you hit an air barrier. You know that sort of stuff, and the leathers with the airbags in them produce protect an awful lot of the collarbone injuries and, and the lower back injuries. But the, 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 if you look at the fingers and the wrists and that sort of stuff, you know that is what gets destroyed very easily in a in a, in a high side. It's what ended uh, James Tozen's career. Mm. Um, you know, and and it's it's the it's the kind of the the repetitive nature of it, the, the, the cumulative nature. And that's it. that's one of the amazing things. I think people don't understand just how good Valentino Rossi is, is he's still doing this. He's pushing 37. Which doesn't sound a great age to someone um, like me who's in his early 40s, but <laughs> um, stop that sniggering there at the back. Um, but in, I mean, even a, so- a football star, uh, you know, 
Ryan Giggs, we talk about Ryan Giggs for Manchester United playing into his late 30s, early 40s. Some goalkeepers go on a bit further. But, you know, that's... It's a physical game you need to be fit. It's not hauling 120 or 130 kilograms of motorcycle uh, around and falling off and having stuff, your know, broken bones mend all the time. I don't think people really realise, unless they are aficionados of the sport, Nick, just how physical um, this is yeah. and how difficult it is and for somebody of that age. Uh, compartment syndrome surgery, Paulus Barrico. Aspargaro, um, and by the thing way. is, every rider, the best and the worst, every rider will fall off several times a season. Yep. You know, it just happens. You know, yep. you're, 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 when the drivers push the limits on Friday practice in, in F1, they go off and have a spin and they go, yeah, go a bit wide. When they get the limits wrong in, in motorcycles, they fall off. It's quite easy. You, you look, there was a uh, Carl Crutchlow uh, dropped his bike, I think, about lap six and seven in the race downhill. Mm. And bike went underneath him so he effectively low-sided which is the safest way to fall off but he, he skidded along he, he, he carried on skidding he got up and, and ran off the bike and you know, he fell off at 80 miles an hour yeah. and because he's got quality leathers he just skidded along and he got up and also the, the adrenaline keeps going but he'll be so sore for a couple of days after doing that did you, did you hear why he crashed by the way? yeah his foot fell off the peg didn't he? he missed the rear brake he, he was uh, and, and again, this is a big change in, in what's happened in motorcycle and tells you how close to the edge. A few years ago, not so very long ago, the back brake would have been tiny and there because it had to be, uh, and as small as possible so it didn't carry as much weight because it was seldom, certainly in the dry, seldom used. Nowadays, they use the back brake to balance, and because the braking forces on the front are so great to try and scrub off some some speed, clearly most of the braking is still done on the front wheel because the back wheel's bouncing off the ground so much. But he said uh, his foot slipped off the rear brake pedal. As that happened, I grabbed the front brake, said Crutchlow, caused a big spike in the front braking and caused me to crash it's it's what we've talked about before nick isn't it if you've got the front wheel with some grip you've got half a chance of getting it back whatever the back end's doing but once the front has gone and you've lost it and it's either Mm. sliding across the track or locked locked up no matter how good you are probably nine times out of ten 98 99 times out of 100 in fact you're gonna go down yeah, and, and it's going to hurt at some point. Yeah, we've but, all uh, done it, though, haven't we? Yeah, unfortunately, the front end. The, 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 the things, those things, are what they do an awful lot. I mean, the, 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 the spectacular high sides are the things which cause the damage, um, and that's actually high side effectively is is oversteer in a car. Yes, the low side is, 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 is terminal understeer is a low side, and terminal oversteer is a high side. Hmm, I like that. Anything more for Nick before we let him go? To back to the party. Hello, Tim. Sorry, sorry about that. I uh, dozed off. No, I had uh, had my microphone muted. Okay. So I started talking, and no one could hear me. Uh, except you. Except me. Mm. Anything um, for Nick before we let him go back to the party and uh, save his marriage, probably. Obviously, one more thing. Obviously. Uh, which is the third clue in Where's Tim? <laughs> All right. Okay. Just in case he wants to guess. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is much like midweek motorsport. There was a hideous beard involved. Who's got the hideous beard in midweek motorsport? I take exception to that. That's a, a good point there. I, I, I sat there going, oh, OK, for another thing. I thought he probably means me. I could mean you. I could mean a different hideous beard. Well, at least you don't mean Nicholas shirt anymore. Stop it. Um, the 
Okay, much like Midweek Motorsport, there's a hideous beard. It's <laughs> evolved, if you think you know, at uh, Specutainment, at Radio Le Mans, or on the Midweek Motorsport listeners collective. Um, no, you said some more F1. Do we need uh, Nick for it, or are we going to let him go? We, no, that was all we needed Nick for. Okay. I'm going to go and ask for YMCA on the... Uh, on the, on the <laughs> In which case, I'm dropping the line to you immediately because the last oh. thing I need is listeners doing all of the movements to uh, YMCA whilst they're jogging on the train in the morning. Uh, it's bad enough that they laugh out loud the while they're listening to Yes, and certainly not in the car. Uh, in their lunch break. Yeah, it's, that's just... Or not in their lunch break. But we're all, we're all singing in our minds now, aren't we? <laughs> No. <laughs> Nick, and, uh, enjoy the, the rest yeah. of the party and say happy yeah. birthday to Ash for us, will you? Will do. Cheers, Cheers mate. Bye. Yeah. It's, uh, Nick Damon, live on Midweek Motorsport. I can't get that out of my mind now. That is something I didn't really need. Well, uh, let's uh, go back to the collective then, because uh, they have been busy tonight. Uh, been Has anybody few... got where's, where's Tim? There have been a few suggestions. Um, Did you see Carol's? I didn't see Carol's. Has that been a Carol tweeted, one? Carol tweeted, were you in an underground tiki bar with Black Pearl Johnny? No. Uh, oh, Michael is that close to said, uh, was Tim Gray dancing with the lady in red, Black Pearl Johnny, on Monday night? But obviously, mm. Black Pearl Johnny would never be in red, uh, only in orange. Tangerine. Yes, Tangerine, indeed. Uh, you know when you've been tangled. Was Tim Bird watching on Monday? All a Twitter. Yes. Oh, very good. Very yeah. good. And uh, similarly, did Tim Gray go to a library to put his face in a book? Yeah. <laughs> uh, amp double eight double eight, or quadruple eight, yep. or however yes. many eights he's got. Uh, did Tim join Johnny's pub quiz team as a last-minute replacement? Ooh, quite like that. And was Tim at the Billboard Awards? Oh, were they Monday night, were they? I don't know. In I London. wasn't there. Okay. You didn't give us any... Ah, well, you can't give us a geographical clue because we're asking, where's Tim? Sorry, that would have... I am tired, aren't (laughs) I? A geographical clue, like the answer, yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, Let me have some tweets on other things before we go back to Graham Goodwin. Rob Byrne and a number of other people mentioned, we were talking about the uh, Pedroza... one by one second off the pace. Um, he did lose his throttle return spring, as he pointed out. So being one second off the pace, having to close the throttle by hand, is actually not bad at all, particularly on a Honda, again pointed out by uh, Rob and a number of other people, that doesn't seem to have uh, any kind of uh, a front end uh, at the moment. Uh, Shea Adam is now singing the Minions version of YMCA and Matt Hunter speculates which of the village people would Nick be mm. ooh that's a yes. difficult one yeah um, Actually, what do you think he'd be well, I'm going to have to think about that Adam Green saying uh, Mark Mark he likes his motorbikes doesn't he so it'd have to be he could the, be the uh, biker, uh, the, uh, biker I have, the I police, have a picture police cop I do have a picture of him on uh, a stride a night rod um, but uh, that's not for this time of the evening. Uh, Mark, uh, it's Marquez, always late enough somewhere. True enough, or maybe never late enough somewhere, depending on the picture. I haven't seen it. Adam Green uh, says Mark Marquez and Peter suffered technical issues in the first lap. Somebody wrote that they chose the wrong tyre for the high, um, the high uh, degree of race day temperatures. 
So uh, maybe that was in, indeed uh, the problem. Thanks very much indeed for that. Always good to have a, a bit of two-wheeled action. It seems that you do like it on midweek uh, motorsport. Uh, tomorrow night, of course, 8 o'clock, uh, it's the first of our online racing uh, organisation, association, excuse me, online racing organisation uh, programmes. Um, more details about that uh, t- during the day tomorrow. Keep an eye on the front page of uh, RadioLamont.com. Matt Hunter and the rest of the team uh, will be here at 8 o'clock UK time tomorrow night. And they've got some uh, good interviews and features there. And uh, there'll be more details about that tomorrow. It's going to be uh, not weekly, but certainly regular here on RadioLamont.com. An irregular feature. Uh, well, mm, it's the, the the guys have worked really hard on getting all the stuff together and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. They've got some good voices. They know their stuff and uh, whether or not that uh, online racing is your thing, uh, there'll be some good chat on there and it'll be worth listening to. I'm looking forward to being a part, a little bit of a part of that uh, tomorrow evening from 8 o'clock. Uh, I'll right, mention let's... something next week as well. Y- you may, carry on. Because uh, obviously Midweek Red Sport next week is 8 o'clock on Wednesday but mm-hmm. immediately after next week's show we've got another long one. Have we? Yes. Uh, who is it next week? Uh, he's from New Zealand. Right. Uh, he's... Uh, New Zealand motorsport is on the ascent at the moment. It certainly Massively. is. Uh, I could give you more clues. I could just tell you it's Mitch Evans. It is Mitch Evans. Very interesting. Recorded a few weeks ago. Uh, and, in fact, actually, Richie Stanaway walked in just as we were ending the interview. And we had a coffee with him as well, but didn't have a time to uh, to speak to Richie. Uh, very worthwhile listening to Mitch Evans, who made his sports car debut uh, at Spa, of course, just uh, a couple or three weeks ago. And certainly has been very, very impressive uh, in that uh, that uh, first outing that's straight after the show next week then at 10 o'clock Graham Goodwin editor of dailysportscard.com has been tippity tapping away uh, which, is onto, good. which is good yeah because uh, uh, we like things as he writes uh, yes. and also we have some sports car news to talk about we do have you got something to throw in or do you want me to start I'd like to start please okay fire away women have always played an important role in the world <laughs> of the motor oh, car oh god <laughs> <laughs> This is one of two this week, actually, and kind of got the first one out of it, uh, amazingly enough. Um, so go on, carry on. Uh, you want me to carry on? You want more of this? Well, uh, this is about. Am I? Am I? Am I not correct, Graham? That this is the uh, the Pavilion du la du la femme, uh, the ACOs. Um, Brilliantly, uh, 18th century idea <laughs> for for an espace. Uh, espace uh, didier. D- okay, d- dedicated to women. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. Um, where do I start with this one? How much trouble can I get in with this one? Well, I just, I just, you know, I, I'll tell you what Eve said. She said, you know, the only problem that she has about that is it's on the circuit. So the the sound of those nasty motor cars will mean that she won't be able to uh, to concentrate on doing her crocheting and feeding the kittens. Well, that you was know, a direct I mean, quote from Eve. In fairness, Eve's been, always been a vulnerable, pretty young thing, and um, it's it's nice to see that. Can I say, by the she... way, that's not what Eve said. However, I did get permission to say that she said that fair enough and i'm probably <laughs> going to get better to the finish of my life the next time i see it now um on the one side okay i do like both sides of an argument on the one side clearly the aco are trying to 
satisfy as many audiences as they possibly can. On the other side, it's Blaking bonkers and completely outdated and, and illegal, utterly and completely unbelievably inappropriate. And for... illegal, as as, as Tim is. Oh, is Tim? I mean, there you go. Let, well, let's not go any further than that. I mean, I read it, looked at it. My news filter um, kind of sort of came down like a portcullis. And uh, and then beyond that, I very good. That I lo- that's a very good scene. No, I tr- I, tr- I, tr- I tried desperately hard to ignore this. And from the same century up. is the kind of thinking that we're talking about. A lot well, of I mean, I, sp- I speak as a man. I speak as a man with um, with a lovely wife who I adore dearly, of course, and a young daughter and five sisters. And suffice to say, that um, the the attitudes of women are never far from my life. And um, no, it's bonkers. Sorry, it's bonkers. Wrong, wrong, wrongity, wrong, wrong. A lot of people, when this appeared uh, uh, yesterday on the uh, Midweek Multiple Listeners Collective Facebook edition, uh-huh. uh, suggested that uh, it had been badly translated from the original French. It's not. No, it's not. it isn't. I've looked at the original French. It's a perfect translation. This is exactly the text and sentiment that the ACO has written in French. Cher Adam has just tweeted, just think we can all go and get a manicure during the race. It, it does suggest, in fact, that there will be... And during uh, qualifying mani- as well. Uh, yeah, and a variety of um, of female publications Yes, as well, which uh, mm. e- Eve was wondering whether that was actually, um, you know, Cosmopolitan, etc., Vogue, well, or whether was, it was female racing. Publication. I was wondering is it, is it, that myself. Is it, is it John? race car engineer, the swimsuit edition? <laughs> oh my god! No, no. See, now that is a completely that is a completely different mindset, and I didn't. Know, that was bad enough having having Nick mentioning YMCA. Now the thought of of the, oh no, dear, that, that you can't un- unthink things. Uh, let's uh, let's let's move on. Well, before um, we do, I, on, I wondered on, whether uh, La Presse Féminine uh, was actually one of these phrases which shouldn't be translated literally. Um, but no, I've uh, checked and it should be translated literally and uh, it should uh, it does mean Cosmopolitan and L, which was uh, one Just of the... Just those two. Well, L obviously is a very French publication anyway. I'm yes. sure Marie Claire would qualify. Right, let's move on, uh, because we're going to get ourselves into trouble uh, if we don't. Uh, Graham, let me bring you up uh, a couple of things. LMP3, first of all. Yeah. Um, on the up and up and up. Well, I think so. I think it's the honest answer. We heard over the weekend of uh, an entrant. I think we're going to see United Autosports uh, before the end of this season racing. But the idea is, I think, a two-car entry for LMS next season. Heard as well of Newbridge Motorsport looking to get in on the act as well. Where's Newbridge? What, what's Newbridge been doing? The name rings a bell, but I can't Newbridge, bring... historic, historic racing Thank and you. also some club racing with uh, cup-class Porsches, amongst other things. But the um, the... Yeah, I think it's on the up, is the honest answer. We wait to see what happens in North America, uh, of course. And you and I, John, were having offline a bit of a conversation about some thoughts there about class structures moving forward on the back of the Wolfgang Durheimer uh, um, comments over the weekend to the Nürburgring and about potentially uh, a prototype uh, presence in North America of some sort for Bentley. Mm. Um, But... uh, I think LMP3 seems to have hit a sweet spot. They've just got to make sure now that what we've got is the right level of performance for the right budgets. 
we wait and see what happens with the Ligier we're promised for the which, by the way, will be a, a car unveiled at the Le Mans 24 Hours, I gather, and then we'll race in the final ELMS race of the season. We wait to find out what happens about the potential, I think now looking likely, LMP3 test in North America and whether or not Tusk decide to the to uh, adopt that as one of their increasingly uh, kind of torrid um, you know, discussions about future class structure. Uh, and then we see whether or not anybody in the Asian Le Mans series decides to pick it up. But uh, I, I've already had discussions, I have to tell you, with a number of people um, who potentially might have a bit of a toe in the water of one other or some of the Asian Le Mans series uh, races with either a prototype or indeed a GT car. Mm, very interesting. Uh, we'll come back to, G- to, uh, to LMP3 in in just a moment because I know that there was a Imola post-race tech question that, that uh, Tim would like your take on but you mentioned Wolfgang Derheimer there the CEO of Bentley live on our uh, broadcast from the Aston Martin lounge at uh, at the Nürburgring he elucidated on something that we've heard Yes. Uh, he elucidated on some of the football's over, uh, by the way, um, just in case anybody... <laughs> Obviously you're down. Yeah, yeah clearly. <laughs> um, the, uh, the uh, elucidated on something that we'd heard a bit of a rumour about uh, and was quite happy to talk about um, his plan and his mm-hmm. vision, if you will, for North American racing. I'll, I'll I'll sort of just do a couple of bullet points, and and I'd be interested to to just see, with the benefit of a few days, for that to have sunk in, how we think that might work. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've got to say um, that uh, inside sources at IMSA have um, completely denied this. Um, yep. and, and I'm not. It's, Answer me too. It, right. Yep. Okay. So. Wolfgang Dermheimer says Bentley likes to win. We like to be in classes where we can win or races that we can win outright. So World Challenge, great. Um, Nürburgring 24, GT3s, top of the field, fantastic. Uh, Bathurst, same thing. Yeah, exactly. All good. Problem being that if they go to IMSA uh, in FIA GT3 uh, spec, they will be the second class of GT cars. So... Number one, and in some ways this is the most interesting part of it. Number one, they are working with IMSA. Now, this hasn't been denied, by the way. Um, couldn't get a comment on this from IMSA. They are working with IMSA to homologate the Bentley Continental GT as a GTLM car for IMSA competition only, in much the same way as BMW started with the Z4, got the waivers, etc. And I'm not opening that kind of worms again. Everybody says it was homologated by the ACO to run as well, but it never did. There were reasons on both sides of that. That's the first thing. To me, that was not a bombshell, but I thought, wow, that's quite interesting. And mm-hmm. and actually is absolutely what the LMGT... Uh, field uh, grid needs in IMSA at the moment with BMW about to leave. Absolutely correct. Yeah, no problem with that whatsoever. Okay, that's nice and easy. Yeah. The second part of it was a bit more. Well, and we'll have to see what happens uh, with that. It's easy said, but more difficultly done, particularly to get the the buy-in from Corvette and Porsche, uh, Risi, etc. However, the second part of it was. He said, basically, I don't see any reason why we couldn't be in the prototype category and 17. 
Uh, I don't, he said, this is Wolfgang Derheimer speaking, I don't think that DPs will be gone in 17. I think they'll get a stay of execution beyond that. And that gives us a chance as Bentley, who has a very nice 4-litre engine, which we're currently racing in our GT cars, to produce our own chassis, which they can't do at the moment because chassis are closed uh, mm-hmm. in, in DP, uh, and also our own bodywork to have a Bentley prototype to win the big races outright in the States. Now, that is a remarkable thing to come out with in a, on a public forum live on the radio. Uh, it is, and I've been trying to kind of unpick exactly what's behind this because there's been a lot of denial. Uh, I think we should make that clear to listeners straight away. There's been a lot of denial from uh, very serious North American sources that this is in any way a prospect. Yeah. However, um, talk Imagine, to you about Imagine, if you will, a world where... <laughs> I think the... However, I think there is some common sense to what... Wolfgang Derheimer is talking about. Number one, it's a perfectly sensible thing for him to be looking for places where his mark can win races overall. Now, the world has moved on from 2003, uh, where Bentley were the favoured make at that stage from the VAG group to go and do battle and indeed successfully at the Mon 24 Hours. We're in a different world now. Um, the brand value is different. It's a different company. Their expectations are different. LMP1 is not immediately any kind of option for Bentley. If, you, therefore, you want to keep Bentley, and for that matter, other makes in the game, then you have to offer them another alternative. And the North American market is a huge market. There's potential there for them. And um, there was a lot of very sensible tweetage, I have to say, over the weekend, just in the immediate wake of that. And the one that I liked the best, the idea I liked the best was that I think we are slightly flagling with prototype racing in North America in the wake of the end of LMP1. Uh, it's not got a light again in the way that I think that Tusk would have liked it to. And I rather like the prospect of something that let's call it IMSA GTP. That right. might be like North America, might be North American only, or close to North American only. I'll come to that in a moment. That would uh, sit somewhere at or ahead of the pace of the current prototypes in um, in Tusk, mm-hmm. which would allow all pro, which would allow factory entries, um, and which in effect would be the de facto place where factories could come and show their tech. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, it's not a well-thought-through uh, prospect yet, but it's been accommodated, of course, in uh, days of yore in international racing. And I see, to be blunt, no reason why in the future, because there's a problem with the, 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 the road we're treading at the moment. We'll come to that in a moment mm-hmm. with global prototypes. No reason why a class like that shouldn't be accepted as a class at the Le Mans 24 Hours, in, as a standalone. In the fullness of time. I, I don't disagree, in the fullness of time. I don't disagree no. with that. And what I think is interesting about this, Graham, is that this would, I think, effectively replace Le Mans GTE in IMSA competition. We have an issue with that. We've been talking about this for a while. Stuart Hart yep. says has just uh, has tweeted in, is there any news on potential new GT Le Mans and GTE entrants? New regs announced next month, but Ford aside, few rumours. You're absolutely right, Stuart. And it's even worse in IMSA with BMW moving 
to uh, GT3 and potentially an LMP1 program, which uh, uh, Marcus Schurig was talking about at the weekend. And frankly, if Marcus is talking about that, then it's been seriously discussed. And yep. he has had that from the right people because Marcus doesn't say things just to make noise. Nope. Um, and in fact, in fairness, Graham, we've all heard those rumours for a while. But now that Marcus is prepared to put pen to paper with, uh, with that, that adds fuel to those fires. So BMW gone from IMSA GTE racing, GTLM racing. We have Ferrari who don't put any money in. Uh, we have two works Porsches, two works Corvettes. Okay, maybe a couple of Bentleys. That would be really very, very good indeed and good news for them. But without that, where is the manufacturer money coming from to support IMSA? And uh, what I'm not sure pe- people understand how race series like that work, but what what is called the marketing funds and the activation money, etc., etc., that is what runs the race series. They don't make the money just out of um, entry fees and people coming through the doors. It's a very expensive thing to do to run something like IMSA and the Chile United Sports Car Championship, and. Th- to me, a GTP category would be somewhere where manufacturer money could be channeled to to replace the budgetary shortfall when GTLM goes away. And it will go away in, yep. in IMSA. There, Corvette can't be racing themselves again as they were in the GT1 era. And if... if Reese don't come and play. We know that Falcon uh, have gone and Derek Walker's looking for another uh, sponsor. Then, you know, then it's just GM. Well, we... I think I think the other the other part of this, John, and it's one that's worth kind of adding into the mix, is this. Is you've said more than once on the show that the looming issue they've got with the current prototype proposals for Tusk is that we're talking about uh, a not identical car so in other words probably the basic same basic chassis but yep. with different bodywork different engines to the single engine formula that's proposed for everywhere else yes and that's in tusk of course it's an all pro potentially an all Correct. pro drivers uh, squad Correct. which is fundamentally different on more or less every single pole um than what's going to happen well, in well, the let's, WEC let's make it very simple and the graham. lms let's make yeah. it very simple graham this global formula of lmp2 um, if the proposals that we expect to be approved uh, go through with the FIA and the ACO, there will be no global formula because in the USA, the second biggest area for that type of racing, every single part of the formula will be different. And what I mean is there will be a different uh, tyre, different spec yep. tyre, albeit there will be different engine regulations, there will be different chassis regulations, there will be different aero regulations, and there will even be different sporting regulations. So this pulling together of LMP2, which is the whole philosophy of the change from what is currently a very vibrant and good-looking LMP2 marketplace, the very founding philosophy is flawed. Because the moment that it comes in, it blows out of the water that being able to happen. The other thing from my point of view about GTP, and I like your idea about GTP, you might remember, because you've got a long memory, and some of our listeners of Midweek Motorsport will as well, that when a few years ago, two or three years ago, there was a ongoing conversation 
about German touring cars, DTM, going to the States and having some kind of manufacturer-supported mm-hmm. series for DTM. I put it before the court of public opinion in, in endurance racing that a DTM-style, GT500-style carbon fiber monocoque already being produced by many major manufacturers would make a fine, fine starting point for something faster than a LMP2 that would be able relatively easily to look like a street car and then potentially could still go to Le Mans. And I'm going to admit, John, let's think about it. The three organisations that are part of that discussion are the ITR, the current rights holder for DTM, uh, the Super GT guys, and IMSA. Yes, exactly. Think on that. Exactly. Whilst that chassis is not cheap, the more you actually get to the stage where you're standardising that, and we're getting to the stage now on the news over the weekend that uh, there are plans, although no no, no in, uh, information yet about how they're going to deal with the thorny issue of tyres across the Super GT and um, uh, DTM platforms, because there's fundamentally different philosophies there, but that there will be um, a get-together race uh, I think it's Japan the end of 2017 and Germany the start of 2018 or the other way around. I can't remember which at the moment, but that that will happen. Now, the more we get that, and the more cars we get into that that that, um, uh, that formula of racing, the cheaper the unit price is going to be for those chassis. Right. One more thing before we move back to the LMP3 question. Say I haven't forgotten about it. Um, GTE, we know that Ford is coming. The smart money is in Ganassi, uh, that it, it's going to be developed and run by Ganassi. That uh, Take your choice where it's going to race. Certainly all of what uh, is currently called the uh, Patron, Tequila Patron uh, North American Endurance Challenge. Um, maybe the rest of that season, uh, certainly at Le Mans, I would be surprised if there weren't some other cherry-picked WEC events or indeed a full one, but a full season of WEC. Um, I don't think they'll do both. I think it will be one or t'other. But what about other GTE cars? Stuart Hart says, uh, and Stuart's on fire tonight, there was an article last week by Sam Smith at Sniffer Media suggesting McLaren GTE is coming, but in mm-hmm. time. Now, you and I have both been to McLaren yep. uh, and... Uh, Andrew Kakodi showed me round. Go and look. Go and look on the archive for the inside McLaren GT. There was a McLaren GTE on the books. Some parts of it were already built. The design exists for a couple yep. of years ago. It was put not on the back burner. It was taken out, not even sort of warmed up, refrozen again because of the convergence regulations. Correct. Conversion yep. regulations have gone to pot now. We're still not sh- sure where that's happening. So what's happening at McLaren and? I remember having the original conversation with then Martin Whitmarsh about the decisions that had been made for McLaren and they had said if there was a choice between pure GT3 and GTE, they had always taken the GTE route. So it's not a huge amount of work to produce one. Will they and when will it come? Right. Well, OK, let's look at this one. We've got new GTE regulations coming in a couple of years' time. Uh, that's a, a sensible time to think about um, you know, McLaren and potentially others coming and taking another look. Beyond that, think about what their, their, their market objectives are. McLaren's, the big change since 1995 and 
uh, McLaren coming to Le Mans with the F1. And by the way, we're going to have the five finishing cars that will parade before mm. this year's Le Mans 24 hours. That's a mouthwatering prospect. But the big difference now is they are now a volume supercar builder. They are there now, now therefore, in the marketplace with many of the other um, factories that currently compete uh, in GT3 and or in GTE. And whilst, yes, I think McLaren still have that uh, aspect where I think you and I were both at the same event where Martin Whitmarsh was making it clear whilst he was still there that they would, would be looking for an opportunity to compete at the top end and for the overall win. I think we're not in that marketplace at the moment. I think, however, be surprised if we didn't see uh, McLaren coming. And my guess would be we may be a couple of three years away from that yet as a factory-based program um, for GTE. Beyond that, well, I think it very much depends on where the um, the market takes us with uh, North America, with the numbers of cars that are actually going to be out there and competing in the future. I expect to see, uh, you know, a rewriting of the the book for Aston Martin and potentially a new car there against the new regulations. Porsche will wait and see what they manage to maintain. We've seen commitment to GT3 with that new car. Will we get a new GTE car? My guess is we might well. And yes. I believe we're going to get a Ferrari as well. Yes, we need, to, Yeah, we need Ford. We need another couple of specialists to step forward so that we can then describe GTE slash GTLM as being healthy. Uh, national homologation will help, uh, certainly with the Continental Series. But the reality is we need a couple of factories to step up. Right. Uh, we got, we're going to run out of time if I don't get back to Tim's uh, post-race tech from Imola, there's a lot of tweets coming in that I want to leave a couple of time, a couple of minutes for before we go to pointless press release of the week. Tim, uh, at Imola, there was an LMP3 question. The Genetta Nissan LMP3s have had a stunning start to their career, but one or two. I remember who asked the question. Yeah. Uh, but it, the uh, substance of it was uh, why uh, were they uh, finishing behind GT cars? I think there's a couple of answers. One, they're still very, very new. Big steps forward being made, but still very new. And not a lot of testing time uh, for those cars. The other thing is, I'm pretty certain I'm right that those cars are somewhat overweight at the moment. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's still work to be done Secondary on not just, the gelatin, not just the gelatinism, by the way, but the overall regulations. I think there's going to be some tweaking to be done. Mm-hmm. Secondary part of that question was, is it something that's specific to Imola? No, no, no. I think it's. I I agree with uh, anything for that. Alan Prosser is uh, having to leave now because he's going to pick his dad up from the pub. That's apologies from absence for the end of the program. That's that's catching on. Um, Fabian W. Um, in response to our GTP idea, your GTP idea, copyright uh, editor dailysportscar.com says, I'm not sure the ACO would allow an additional class in Le Mans that can race for the overall victory. I think, Fabian, though, what we're saying is it wouldn't, wouldn't actually be, for the overall victory. be for the overall victory. No. And, it, and in point of fact, Graham, could this not be the magic bullet, the golden bullet for the ACO and IMSA? Because at the moment, what do, what do IMSA not have? They don't have manufacturing money and they're never going to get manufacturing money really in an LMP uh, stroke DP style or uh, um, uh, prototype category. Um, what do the IMSA not have? They don't have private ears in P1. This could be a, this could be the P1 bis category it, for it privateers could. at Le Mans. I think it it could. It would be interesting to see that debate kind of emerge. If you know, look, I don't think a, lot, a chap by the, the with with the the, the 
background of Wolfgang Gertzerheimer is in the habit of coming and, and spinning plates on an open radio station. I think the, the, the issue here is, if he says there's discussion, there's discussion. The, the key thing here is who with. My guess would be it might well be with people at IMSA, but it's just as likely to be with his fellow OEMs, the fellow factories, to start to put a little bit of pressure on about future, future kind of shape. Uh, I think we've got some interesting months ahead of us on this one. Uh, and finally on this before I let you go and we go to pointless press release of the week um, this from Ryan uh, Priovalus says but isn't IMSA going to GT3 spec next season yes they are Ryan but for GTD and this is something that we have had confirmed there are no changes to the IMSA uh, proposals to go to full GTD full FIA GT sorry let me get that right I've confused myself now full FIA GT3 spec for the category that is currently known as GTD. That is full FIA GT3 spec for the category known as GTD as it stands now. That's for next year in IMSA. The LMGT category stays as the top class. Okay, that's how it looks. Uh, all right, mate. Um, thank you very much indeed. We'll let you get back to your tippity uh, tappying. There's <laughs> there's plenty going on, including Blanc Pan at Silverstone this weekend. I may see you there if I can drag myself away from a fabulous weekend of sport on the box. I'm afraid, and not having to go to a motor racing track. Might, this might be another very good reason to see you there this weekend. You need to speak to me tomorrow about that. Right. Sean. Okay. All good stuff. Graham Goodwin. We'll let you go for the time being. Editor of DailySportsCar.com. Lots of new stuff going up on there all the time, and certainly worth by the way, uh, looking at Stephen Kilby's uh, account of his Mealy Mealy both in pictures and words, all good stuff Cheers mate Good night. The news that no one is talking about The stories that aren't reported anywhere else And for valid editorial reasons, pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport Ah, oh, fabulous Absolutely fabulous. What have you got, the Tim, this week? Busy week. I've previously criticised, <laughs> uh, previously criticised Audi, uh, particularly at Christmas for their twelve uh, press releases of Christmas, including yes. one sent by a uh, machine on Christmas Day, uh, which nobody read. Um, and since except then, you, since I know I didn't read it. I just looked at the headline and thought that's not been sent mm. by a human. Uh, since then, uh, they sent out a pointless set of photos. Right. Uh, of their DTM drivers uh, in various leisure uh, poses. Oh dear. Did you see these? No. Um, I managed to miss that. Oh, they, they were good. Uh, Eduardo Mortara was with, uh, I think it's his wife, could be girlfriend, I'm not sure if he's married or not. Uh, Mike Rockefeller, he was uh, standing by a window with a cup of coffee. Nice. Uh, Jamie Green was cycling. Yes, uh, okay. Timo Scheider was with his wife. Lots uh, of what? wives involved. He was with T- Timo Scheider was with Timo Scheider's wife, not yes. with Jamie Green's wife. Okay, right. Okay, uh, Nico Good. Muller was cooking. Yes. Uh, and uh, he had a pepper grinder in his hand. And uh, Adrian Tombe <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> was wearing his race suit and surrounded by Playboy bunnies. Ah, that's because he, that's who he's sponsored by, of course, Indeed. isn't it? Um, so, so that hasn't made activity. it. So that, that, that hasn't was made weeks it. Ago. Uh, but this week, uh, Audi have redeemed themselves with um, a lovely photograph that they've uh, sent out right. of um, all of their 13 Le Mans winners together. Now, actually, that is far from pointless because exactly. when you see that there, you realise what a commitment Audi have made to sports car racing in the last 16-odd years. And, and you have to wish the... that they'd uh, done it uh, somewhere where 
actual members of the public could go and see all 13 of them together? Uh, well, you, I think you can at Neuster, uh, Neuburg. Um, oh, the we, new factory. Yes, because there is a little museum there uh, and a cafe that overlooks the test track and, su- and such like. So if I you think take them on tour. They could have a little marquee oh. at Le Mans with uh, them in uh, that you could go Tim, in there. Tim, Tim, that is genius. Have a mo- uh, manicure at the same time. It just so happens that we are talking. <laughs> Stop it! It just so happens that we are talking to somebody from Audi AG tomorrow, and I am going to suggest. I'm writing that down right now. The it's the magnificent thirteen, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the magnificent thirteen on tour. They could go to the Goodwood Festival of Speed. There might be 14 of them by then. Well, yes. I think that is an outstanding uh, idea. Uh, but that's not your point. You were talking about countdowns. The ACO have put one out today that's just 24 days to go and they're going to do a press release every day. Wow. Yes. Least, today uh, was the one not... saying there's just 24 days to yes. go and we're going to put out tomorrow, a press release every day. There's just 23 days to go and uh, there's a race going on. Um, yes. Ones I really want to do, I can't because I've just noticed it's embargoed until a minute past midnight tomorrow. Okay. So we might leave that. And there's another one I wanted to do, um, but I can't do that because I realised when I got to the bottom that it's written by someone we know. <gasps> Excellent. So are we going to have some fun with that? Um, so uh, there's also... Uh, at least four different manufacturers have uh, sent me press releases claiming that they won the Nürburgring 24 hours. Right. Uh, class wins all of them. Yes. Uh, so well, there's 21 classes, don't forget. There are. Uh, so we're going with this one. The FIA WTC's visit to the Nürburgring was expected to be one of the highlights of the season. Mm. Was, was it? And it was, which is kind of the opposite of what you're expecting from that sentence. Because mm. it starts like that and you think, but there was disappointment because they only had six laps. But you know what? I actually thought that it wasn't... Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, Amp Triple Eight has just said, bulldoze the women's pavilion at LM24, replace it with the Audi winning cars display. Sorted. Um, the uh, I actually enjoyed... We did quick comms on the, on the two races. I saw the first one and commentated on it. And then uh, Jim and George did the second, uh, which was actually probably a little bit better race. I'm not sure Jim was particularly happy about it. No, because the uh, TV director missed the start of the race, which was very interesting. Um, the I uh, There was something different about watching 17 cars on that circuit. And the way it was filmed, it, w- it did look like a rally stage with everybody having caught each other up. It was, it was quite interesting. And what it did do was give, absolutely give a sense of scale of the Nordschleifer that in some ways you don't get when there's 151 cars or whatever it was that we started on Saturday afternoon. It, it was interesting. What we did not... realise is we mm. wouldn't have wanted it to be any longer than three well, laps, though. Because, couldn't have been. <laughs> because obviously that couldn't have been because their fuel tanks could barely cope with the three. Mm. Um, but also they would have got so spread out that it would yep. have been 17 cars... Um, two or three hundred metres apart. Very quickly, a couple of things before we leave um, that I meant to bring up with Graham. Uh, even I wrote them down. Um, confirmation from Rebellion. Again, we've mentioned that on this programme. Two cars. Absolutely two cars. Not one car. There's no problem. It's two cars. And whilst we're on GT3 in the Nordschleifer, the new GT3 Porsche, which was... Uh, 
This could almost have been the um, pointless pr uh, press release of a car um, on uh, the Nürburgring. Much tarantara about the new GT3 uh, FIA GT3 spec Porsche 911 with a direct injection engine, except for the fact that we hear from very highly placed sources of Porsche, it's not run with the new DI engine yet. So the big selling point of the car we hasn't... like that Mercedes. Mm, well, that hasn't um, run anywhere. And just we've to managed prove just... we're live, yes. uh, finished 1-1 uh, between Atromitos and Pauk Salonica in the uh, Greek Super League. Yes, uh, and the other football results were 0-0, 2-1... 3-2 and... Uh, oh, 1-1 one, one again. Yeah, you've entered uh, as well. 2-1's well, uh, not a result because they're in the second period of extra oh, time. Okay, that's that's fine. Yes, that's very good. Tim, thank you very much for your hard work over the weekend and the rest of your team down at the main control room in London. Our thanks to Marshall Pro particularly for getting uh, a quick 10 minutes to speak to us uh, and we keep our fingers crossed for an exciting but safe race uh, at Indianapolis uh, as well as everywhere else that has competition this weekend. I'm John Hindoff. Thanks for joining us tonight. There's no time to explain. The Llamas staying up.